Philippians 1 verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Well, thanks very much, Hannah, and good morning, everyone. My name is Cam Maxwell. I'm a campus pastor here at Trinity Church Tonsley. Let me add my welcome to Joe's from earlier. The question today, how ambitious are you? How ambitious are you? Uh, there are some people who seem to have a very clear picture of uh, what they want to achieve in life, and then they set out step by step, uh, ticking one thing off after another, working hard, climbing the ladder, achieving the next module of study, uh, very single-minded, very focused, uh, often, nearly always, uh, impressing us all with their great determination and what they end up succeeding in. Uh, perhaps some of you will be like that today, very clear, uh, very ambitious. I have to say for myself on this question, I've, I've never really been massively ambitious in that way. Um, I've never had that clear drive to, to a goal in my life. I've, I've always been competitive and that sort of has its own drive to it. Um, but just as a personality thing, I suppose, I've always been more of a, just a one thing at a time, see how it works out kind of a guy. I suppose for the more cynical amongst us, that might be um, explaining for you how someone ends up being a pastor. A pastor probably seems like someone with no life ambition, right? Now, on the one hand, uh, that's probably, I hope, a bit of a comfort for you. Uh, an ambitious pastor would be very dangerous, uh, I think. If I had my goals to build my own brand, uh, to sell a lot of books or have a, you know, uh, the biggest church going around, if that was my goal, um, that would make me extremely dangerous, wouldn't it? Uh, it would actually make the congregation really a uh, means to that end, just bums on seats to feed an ego. Uh, it'd be no good. So on the one hand, ambition, uh, I think, is, is very dangerous, and I hope that can put you, to, put you at ease. On the other hand, uh, it would be a gigantic problem, wouldn't it, if you had a pastor with no ambition? Uh, that is, if I was just a bit too, oh, let's just see how this goes, let's have a bit of fun, see what happens. Um, if I didn't seem to care about whether our church grows or not, uh, if we had no real plans for getting important things done, like you know, planting new churches one day, or reaching new people with the good news of Jesus... 
That'd be a bit concerning. Ambition is a dangerous thing. Uh, in fact, if you have your Bible open, uh, you'll see over the page there in chapter 2 of Philippians, we'll come to this uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, in chapter 2, verse 3, we're told, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So as Christians, uh, we really should be very careful about our ambitions, what's driving us forward in life, what we're aiming for. But that's not to say we should have no ambition. Uh, we just need to have ambition in the right way. Uh, the passage we're looking at today, uh, and a the theme we'll see uh, time and time again in the book of Philippians, is what right and good and godly ambition looks like. And we have the example of Paul the Apostle here to, to challenge us and encourage us to be actually really ambitious, really ambitious. Uh, not for ourselves, uh, but ambitious with our lives for gospel growth. Uh, Philippians challenges those of us who are sometimes a bit too happy to kind of drift along uh, it challenges us to have real clarity uh, with life. Uh, but I hope you find Philippians doesn't sort of beat us up and make us feel guilty. It's, it's just a great reminder of how good it is uh, when the gospel goes out, uh, changing lives in our world. If you are someone who's a really ambitious, driven person by nature, whether it's uh, ambition in career or uh, in your studies or your financial goals, whatever it may be, those things are good things. But Paul in Philippians, I should, I should warn us, well, he's suggesting that if those are the things getting you out of bed each morning, career, study, ambition for finances, you're actually not being ambitious enough. Our ambitions are too small if those are the things that are driving us. You might be thinking, well, hang on though, are we really going to take our life lessons about ambition from Paul, who is locked up in jail? Uh, it doesn't exactly seem like a great idea taking life advice from a convict, um, probably not the life coach you want, but... There is something, I think, about this particular prisoner, Paul, who has so much joy. You think, well, we should probably learn as much as we can from this guy. Even someone locked up with great joy, we can learn a lot from. Uh, last week, as we kicked off our series in Philippians, Mike Waskill from uh, Flinders uh, Evangelical Students, uh, he opened up very helpfully for us uh, the incredible joy that Paul has, uh, despite his circumstances, uh, because of his great fellowship in the gospel, his partnership in the gospel with the Philippians, uh, Paul's experience is not what you might expect from the outside. Uh, Mike's sermon is up online. It's well worth catching up on if you missed it. Now, Paul here, is, he's most likely uh, in house arrest in Rome. Uh, you can read about how that came about if you read through the book of Acts. Uh, I've got the whole story there, really, of how that comes about and why he's in Rome. Uh, but the book of Acts finishes by, uh, by telling us that Paul is under house arrest in Rome for at least two years. Uh, he has a soldier there to guard him, and he's awaiting a trial uh, before Caesar himself. Uh, it seems to be, it's in this under house arrest in, in Rome that Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians. Now, uh, many of you will know this about Paul, but just bear in mind, he has been an absolute powerhouse of evangelism, of church planting, of raising up new leaders left, right and centre in the church. Um, Throughout all of human history, he's unmatched, I think, in how fruitful and effective uh, he was at starting new churches in places where there were previously zero Christians. Incredible guy. Amazing ministry. It doesn't seem like a great thing for the gospel uh, to have the greatest hero of all time, the superstar evangelist, uh, the best church planner, locked up. Doesn't seem like a great way for the gospel to go forward, does it? Uh, not a great strategy for making new disciples, we might think. And so the Philippians may have thought uh, they themselves had benefited from Paul coming to Philippi uh, and preaching the gospel there. Their lives have been changed by him and now he's locked up. We might think, well, that's devastating, isn't it? This great superstar is taken out of action. 
Not at all, says Paul. In verse 12 here in chapter 1, Paul assures them that what has happened, being arrested, has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, you know when someone uses the word actually like that, uh, they're saying, I know this is surprising, but this has happened. Uh, If one of you were to say to me one day, Cam, that sermon today was actually really helpful. I'd say, well, that's that's good, but do you need to say actually? Uh, It's a giveaway, isn't it, of what you were sort of expecting or hoping for. Uh, Paul being locked up, it might seem like a disaster, but actually, because of his chains, more and more people are hearing the good news about Jesus uh, and how he offers us free uh, offers a salvation into eternity. Now, it's interesting, the, the church in Philippi, they already have some experience of seeing God at work through chains, uh, through Paul, actually. Uh, if you're taking notes and want to uh, read up on this story, it's a fantastic story. As Paul got to Philippi, um, it didn't go that well at one level. He ended up in jail. It's pretty common for Paul, it turns out. He's in jail in Philippi, but famously, uh, God sends an earthquake. Uh, the jailer uh, in Philippi thought Paul and Silas had escaped and was about to take his own life. Uh, until Paul calls out and he shares the gospel with this poor Philippian jailer. Um, He explained that all you have to do to receive eternal life was to believe that Jesus is the Lord. Uh, The jailer, he did turn to Jesus and immediately he he had his whole um, household baptised. His life would never be the same. Um, I like to imagine, I don't know for sure, but I like to imagine the church in Philippi perhaps having that same Philippian jailer and his whole family there as they first get this letter from their dear friend Paul. I can imagine a few chuckles, actually, in the Philippian church. This letter gets read out, and Paul says, actually, uh, being changed has advanced the gospel. And they're like, oh, yeah, remember when that happened here too? And perhaps that jailer, now a mature Christian, perhaps even a leader in the church, someone who now has hope for eternity, remembers with a tear uh, that night that he first heard the gospel, where he learned that even he could receive forgiveness of sins, that he could be reconciled with his Creator simply by believing and trusting in Jesus. What a special thing for them to be able to celebrate and remember that, hearing Paul as he writes this letter. And sure enough, uh, the pattern repeats itself in some ways. Uh, Paul here mentions, uh, the first people he mentions in this letter that hear the gospel are also guards. Let's have a look at verse 13. As a result of his arrest, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Uh, The palace guard, uh, the praetorium, Uh, They were basically Caesar's own personal bodyguard. Uh, The palace guard were the elite unit in Rome. Of all the Roman army, there's about 9,000 of them, 9,000 of these soldiers, very powerful, very influential, uh, and they had the most access to uh, the hallways of power. Uh, Part of their duties included guarding and actually literally being chained to the prisoners who were waiting trial uh, to see Caesar. Just for a moment, just a bit of imagining time. Imagine you were a guard in this elite um, Praetorian guard. Uh, You're rocking up for your first shift of guarding some random, obscure Jewish academic you've never heard of. Uh, You get there to take on guarding Paul. As you arrive for your first shift doing this, uh, the previous guard is unchaining himself from Paul. He's he's handing uh, the prisoner over to you. You notice the look on your comrade's face. As he's attaching the chains of Paul to you, you see on his face sort of bewilderment and, and shock, like your, your fellow soldier's mind has just been melted and he can't wait to get out of there. Then you look at this prisoner that you'll be chained to for probably the next six or eight hours, wherever it may be, Paul, whose whole life mission is to share the good news about Jesus with Gentiles, people just like you. And now you're chained to him, uh, the most relentless evangelist in, the world, in world history, uh, for the next six to eight hours of your life. 
You notice, as you look at Paul, the, the little smile on his uh, face and the glint in his eyes, he start, turns to you to start to talk. And you brace yourself, wondering, who's really the prisoner here? Sure enough, the soldiers who have been guarding Paul, they begin to talk, they, they share their experiences, what they've heard, not just in their barracks, uh, but all around the halls of power in Rome. They're retelling what Paul has shared with them about Jesus. And again, just it's important, like Rome at this point, uh, it's the greatest empire the world had ever seen. The emperor of Rome is not just the most powerful man on the planet, he's the most powerful man of all time. And everyone in his circle is hearing about Jesus. That's actually not the emperor who's the most powerful person, it's actually Jesus who is Lord of all. That's what's circulating around Rome because of Paul's change. Paul's chains. One of the things I find very surprising, though, is you get to verse 14, and you see that because Paul is in chains, all the other Christians become confident. Paul says they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, how does that work? It doesn't make sense at first glance, but surely you think, well, wouldn't you be more scared and more fearful if, like you, you might end up in chains if you share about Jesus? It could be, perhaps, that courage like Paul's is contagious. You see someone else being courageous and think, yes, I can do that too. They saw Paul preaching the gospel even to the point of death and were inspired. Uh, there could be part of it there. But alongside that, it seems to seem this great clarity that Paul has. It does bring clarity for the rest of us, doesn't it? As if to say, well, what's the worst that can happen here? Caesar's hearing the gospel. This is great. Even being put in jail would bring glory to God and can advance the gospel to the hallways of power. What a thing. And actually, the worst thing that can happen to Paul is the Romans can give him what his heart actually desires, which is to be released, to be with Jesus for eternity. I know a lot of people are fearful about the direction our culture in Australia is heading, that it's getting harder to be a Christian and that we are at risk of losing our freedoms. That may all be true, But when you look at this, you think, well, do we need to fear? Do we need to fear for our freedoms? By all means, we we need to be thankful for the freedom God has given us. We should pray for freedom. Uh, And there may be good ways we can advocate uh, for our freedoms as Christians. But do we need to fear anything? After all, what is it we'd be fearing exactly? Jesus is actually the Lord of all. He can use any situation for glory whether it's Paul in jail or famously Joseph being sent to Egypt in slavery, a horrible loss of freedom, God uses all such things to to change the world, to bring salvation to his people. Do we fear losing our freedoms? Well, I think as we observe Paul and see his joy at at seeing the gospel spread with zero freedom, it seems to me the question we should be asking is, well, what am I doing with the freedom I already have? What am I doing with my freedom? See, sharing the gospel is always going to be hard. Uh, the world has always been a hostile place to hear the claims of the gospel, that every knee should bow before Jesus. We can wish our culture would be different. I'm sure the Roman Christians wished Rome was a bit different. Uh, after all, many of them experienced being thrown into the arena to be you know, torn apart by wild animals. Not exactly a great spot to be a Christian. But like Paul we can see that no matter what happens, the gospel isn't going to stop. Whether it's ancient Rome, whether it's uh, communist China, dystopian North Korea, 
in places where militant Islam is a stronghold, even politely, passively aggressive Adelaide, the gospel goes forward. There is actually nothing, there is no loss of freedom, no hostility, no culture that can stop it because it's the work of God. I get to hear regularly from some friends of mine, some missionaries uh, in a very dangerous part of the Middle East, a place where to convert from Islam to Christianity would probably be uh, a death sentence for many. I regularly hear about them uh, leading people to Jesus, uh, baptising them, releasing them from fear and giving them hope for eternity. They get to know Jesus and the joy that he brings now. The gospel is going forward and no one can stop that. If we're looking for confidence, I think that's where we find it. I don't think we find confidence in how much or how little freedom we have as Christians or how, um, how helpful our culture is to share the gospel. The key for our confidence is actually not how well we can share the gospel with others or how much courage we can muster up or even how guilty we feel if we don't share the gospel well enough. Those things don't help us with confidence. The key to our confidence is knowing that it's Jesus. He's the one who's pushing the gospel forward, no, no matter what, to all corners of the globe. Which means no matter what happens to us, for good or for bad, the gospel is going to go forward. It cannot be stopped. It will not be stopped. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation in our world. And so what's the worst that can happen? If we're ambitious for a quiet and comfortable life, we may not find we reach that goal if we're followers of Jesus. But we have nothing to fear if we're ambitious really ambitious about the gospel going forward, which is way more exciting, isn't it, than just an exciting life? Sorry, it's way more exciting than a comfortable and easy life, isn't it? Well, in verses 15 to 18, we get to see how being ambitious for the gospel protects our hearts. Uh, It helps us not get bitter or jealous or angry uh, because we can always find a reason to rejoice. In verse 15, Paul tells us about those who are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. Verse 17, he says, they're doing that out of selfish ambition, supposing they can stir up trouble, actually, for Paul while he's in chains. It seems like there are people who are just trying to make the most of their opportunity. Like Paul's been taken out of action for a while. Paul, um, people were jealous of him. Uh, Christians, his brothers in Christ, didn't like the influence he had. They wanted that for themselves. They wanted the kind of following Paul had for themselves. Now, these people are not false teachers. If they were, Paul would not be saying what he's saying about them. Paul never says a kind word about false teaching. These are Christian people preaching the gospel, but doing it for terrible reasons. They're being ambitious, actually, for themselves. And actually, the gospel just becomes a tool for them uh, to achieve their own goals. Do you see here, though, in these verses, how Paul just isn't phased at all? These people are trying to damage him, to hurt him. I reckon if Paul was ambitious to make a name for himself, to be the most popular teacher going around, this could be crushing because his ambition is being taken away from him while he's out of action. But this has the opposite effect, doesn't it? See, if like Paul, our one ambition in life is that the gospel advances, we will always be rejoicing because the gospel is always advancing. No matter if others are being jerks to us about it, or making our life difficult, those things may hurt, actually. Paul may well have felt the sting here, but his ambition is that the gospel goes out, and so he rejoices. 
Um, long before we started the church here at Tonsley, uh, Matt Lehman and I had lunch with leaders from um, some other like-minded churches. Uh, some of you will know of Don Redden, who oversees uh, City Light Church. Um, they're planting churches around Adelaide, like, uh, like we're trying to do. Uh, Lawson Hannaford as well, uh, some of you know of him, who's involved at City Reach, also really great at uh, pushing forward to plant churches. Uh, so there's leaders from three different networks, having lunch, eating Nando's together down at Marin, uh, it was great. Um, all three networks of church planters were thinking, gee, it'd be good to plant a church in Tonsley. Uh, Matt and I had happened to be a little bit further down the road on that one, as we're sharing some of the thoughts we'd had and how, how we were progressing there. Um, but all three of us, how great, what strategic opportunities there are to share the gospel uh, in Tonsley and beyond. As we're sharing with, these, uh, with Don and Lawson, it was so encouraging. They were asking, what can we do to help? Can we send you some people? We should never take that kind of uh, gospel-hearted generosity and partnership for granted. Very thankful for it. Uh, many people like that. There's no rivalry, there's no competition. Just a shared ambition that our city be reached with the gospel. Uh, there is great joy, isn't there, in those sorts of gospel partnerships. But imagine now a different scenario. Imagine, um, you know, a couple of years from now, maybe City Light or City Reach, maybe someone else plants a church right here at Tonsley, just, just over there somewhere, next to us. That may well happen one day. Uh, who knows? We might not, need to, might not need to imagine too much. Just to make it a little bit more challenging, imagine that actually week by week, you notice less and less people are coming along here uh, because they're all heading off to this new church or these new churches. Uh, they have great heating there. Suddenly you find the ministries you're involved in here, whether it be uh, setting up or packing up or kids or music, you're finding actually there are less and less people to help us with these things. And the great friends you've made here already, you message them and they don't reply because, well, sorry to tell you, but their new friends are cooler. Um, Now, at that point, do we get grumpy? Like, maybe fair enough, envious of their heating, yes, that's okay. But will we say, look, we're here first, Uh, Tons is for us, you guys can go find somewhere else to have a church, thank you very much. Or we just rejoice. Uh, There is now more opportunity for the gospel to go forward, even if it makes life a bit harder for us personally. I think it would be a great thing to rejoice. The more churches there are around us, what a great thing that the gospel is going forward in that way. In the years ahead, I'm sure as a church, there will be big changes for us. That's just normal church life. Uh, One day we may have a different venue. There will be different pastors involved uh, over time. Uh, under God, um, there will certainly, we hope, have church planters uh, come and take people out to plant new churches from here. All of that will be costly and will be hard, but if we're ambitious for the gospel, we'll happily embrace that cost, won't we? We will genuinely celebrate, genuinely rejoice, no matter the cost or the effect on us personally. Even just to keep growing as, as church here, our ministry areas we're involved in, they may require more of us, uh, not less of us, as time goes on. But wouldn't that be a great thing? If things were getting harder because it's the most important thing, the thing we care about the most is happening, that men and women and children are coming, they're hearing the great news about Jesus and finding that they too can be counted as God's children. Do you see how if we're ambitious for the gospel, there will always be joy for us? If only we are looking out and seeing what God is doing around us. Even as I said last week, there is actually joy to be had in your email. Uh, if you're signing up for, uh, for groups like CMS, uh, you can hear from the Purdies regularly uh, and have great joy hearing the gospel advancing in Chile. Flinders ES, you can hear what's happening there. Bush Church Aid, uh, there's so many places that can tell us how the gospel is advancing. We can stop uh, during our days and get an email. Give thanks to God for that. It's great joy. 
Well, from verse 19, there's some astounding verses here, I think, as Paul unpacks his life ambition even more for us. And I think this, this section, more than any other, I think encourages us to examine our own ambitions. In verse 19, Paul is very confident uh, that what's happened will turn out for his deliverance. He says, uh, yeah, he's hoping this will end up in his deliverance. Now, you notice in your Bibles, on your pews there, um, pews, seats, uh, you notice there's a footnote next to the word deliverance, a little C there. If you look down the bottom of the page, you'll see deliverance could mean salvation. Uh, it could mean vindication. Um, why does that matter? What's he talking about? Well, it seems if Paul's confident, um, well, sorry, what's he confident in? Is he confident of getting out of house arrest? Is that his deliverance, being uh, released from this situation? Um, that's possible. Uh, is he confident about being saved, you know, delivered into eternal life? Uh, well, actually, undoubtedly, that's what Paul is very confident in. He knows salvation is a great gift from God, not something he does himself. Um, that's not in question, so it'd be a strange thing for him to say, but possibly that could be what he's talking about. It seems, though, what he does is he explains what he means in verse 19. He goes on to explain what he means in verse 20. So you follow along. What, for Paul, is the ultimate vindication or deliverance? Well, in verse 20, we see it's exalting Christ, honouring Christ, whether in life or death. That's Paul's great ambition, and he's hoping to be delivered or vindicated in that. So if he ends up being executed by the Romans, that would be a shameful way to go in his culture, as far as the Romans would see it, as far as other Jews would see it. But as far as God and all his people see it, there is only honour, actually, only honour for dying for the sake of Christ. Paul's biggest ambition is to honour or to exalt or to magnify Jesus, to make his whole life uh, reflect the world around him that Jesus is big, that Jesus is wonderful and powerful and kind and glorious and just. That's the real vindication, the real deliverance Paul is confident of, that Jesus will be honoured in his life. What a memorable ambition for each of us as well. Now, of course, we will feel like failures, I think, as we think, well, am I doing this? Am I living out and exalting Christ in my life? I think the first thought for me, at least, is, well, no, I'm not. And after all, how could we, how could little old us possibly represent the glories of Christ well? Well, Paul says in verse 19, we can have confidence because of the prayers of others and because of the mighty power of God's Spirit at work in our life. We actually can have that same ambition. We can know that God will help us to do that, to bring Him glory in our lives and even in our deaths. Through God's power, as we labour to serve Christ with our lives, we do bring Him glory. It might be in the way that we pray for other believers. It might be in the way that we seek to encourage and serve other Christians. It might be in the way that we awkwardly fumble conversations about Jesus with those we love. As we do those things, we're bringing him glory. We might not feel like we're nailing this, but actually God's glory doesn't depend on how we feel. For Paul, as he gets to verse 21, it's such a memorable verse. He's basically saying again, what's the worst that could happen? For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If Paul is able to keep living, he can keep serving, he can keep building the church and just keep delighting and being a witness to God's kindness, participating in the gospel advancing. What a great thing. What a great way to spend our lives. He can have all that joy of serving Christ here and now. But you know, if he dies, 
He gets to be with Christ. It's better by far. After all, that's the whole goal. That's the ambition that Paul has always longed for, to be with Jesus. If you're looking for a memory verse, something to really lock away, how about this one? It's a short one. It's very short, isn't it? To live is Christ, to die is gain. We can all remember that. But it's such a punchy way, such a clear way to encourage us, to challenge us in our ambitions. Is my life about Christ, for Christ, because of Christ, through Christ, wanting to honour Christ? Do I have assurance, actually, do I have assurance that to die is gain? If you're here checking out Jesus, uh, perhaps exploring what this is all about, and if you don't maybe yet count yourself a follower of Jesus, welcome. Uh, it's so great to have you with us today. Maybe that's not a question you're sure about yourself. Like, do you have assurance beyond this life? The key thing I want to point out today is that Christians like Paul don't have confidence in eternal life because of how good we think we are. It's not because we think God is a softy who basically lets everyone into eternal life. It's because Christians have confidence, confidence that Jesus has already done it all for us. He has paid the price for our sins on the cross, and he assures us that as we turn to him with repentance and with faith, we will be with him for eternity. And that it's better by far than any ambition anyone has ever had. Something you want to explore more, please uh, come and grab me afterwards or make a little note on your tear-off slip in the leaflet. You'd like to find out more about Jesus. We'd love to help you with that. Well, I'll start today with a question, how ambitious are you? I find this pa- passage really does challenge uh, me in that I'm not ambitious enough uh, for the gospel to advance and that I'm, I'm not an ambitious enough that Christ would be honoured in my life. Uh, one way I think that looks for me, that sort of uh, lack of ambition, is I sometimes find myself hoping that we don't grow too much more as a church, uh, because if we do, my life will get harder. Isn't that ridiculous? I imagine myself this week telling that to the Apostle Paul. Look, it's going really well at Tonsley. Uh, people keep rocking up and uh, people are hearing about Jesus. It's great. But I don't think we should grow too much more. I'm starting to worry it will make my life harder to pastor. Imagine the look on Paul's face. It's ridiculous, isn't it? What a joy this passage is to remind us of what we're doing together here. We're part of God's great work in advancing the unstoppable gospel. I've left a question for us all um, at the bottom of our leaflet today. So ask that question about ambition. If this is our ambition, to have Christ honoured in our life, to have the gospel go forward, no matter what the cost to ourselves, the question is what other ambitions might be getting in the way or competing with that one? What good things, perhaps, are we really aiming for that are choking out that wonderful ambition? For others, it might be the sense of, well, I don't feel ambitious enough. Maybe I'm dreaming far too small. Maybe I could be thinking far bigger thoughts about what what God could do through my life in his service. In a moment, we'll have just a minute or two to reflect on that question and think, what is the thing we can change or do? But for now, uh, would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you are actually in charge of absolutely everything, despite how sometimes we feel or what it may seem. We thank you so much that your gospel won't be stopped. Thank you for uh, the great joy that we have available to us now, uh, that we get to see and witness and know the many ways the gospel is going out over our city, our country, our world. 
and for the numbers you're adding to your people day in, day out. Thank you. We praise you for that. Uh, Please help each one of us grow wildly in our ambitions. Help us to just desire to live those lives that bring you glory and that are all about advancing the gospel. Uh, Help us in this, we pray, by your Spirit. Please give us great joy together as we push on in this great work. Amen.